Guardian Unlimited. Are there questions to the Prime Minister? Katie Clark. Number one, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, sir, before listening my engagements, I'm sure the whole House will join with me in sending our condolences to the family and friends of Private Luke Simpson from the 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, who died in Iraq over the period of the parliamentary recess. He was a very professional soldier. He was performing a vital role in working towards a safer and more secure world, and we pay tribute to him today. Mr. Speaker, sir, um, I had meetings with um, ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in the House, I will further such meetings later today. Katie Clark. Can I associate myself with the Prime Minister's expression of condolences? Does my right honourable friend recall the closure of Sinclair Ayrshire recently, where the workforce were made redundant without notice? Can I thank my right honourable friend for the very speedy government response, and in particular the extra funding and payment of redundancy to the workforce? But can I now ask my right honourable friend to meet with MPs to discuss how we stop employers behaving in this way, but also what further can be done to make full employment a reality in Ayrshire? Yeah. Um, well, as my honourable friend rightly pointed out, I, I met her over the uh, closure in her constituency, and once again I extend my sympathy to um, those of the workforce and their families who were affected by the closure. And as she rightly said, there was very prompt action taken by the Scottish Executive, the Government, um, the local uh, job centre, in order to make sure that we, we have the right measures in place to help those people find new jobs. And she's also right in saying that our task now is to build on the huge economic success that Scotland's had over the past few years with 200,000 extra jobs in Scotland and make sure that we provide full employment, which she wants to see and I believe is now possible. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Private Luke Simpson, who died in Iraq 12 days ago. He died serving our country. There are 125,000 people in our country who have paid into company pension schemes, seen them collapse, and who have been left with little or nothing. Today, the government was defeated in the courts and ordered to look again at how it's responded to the real crisis at the heart of our pension system. Does the Prime Minister agree that there's real strength of feeling on all sides of the House that these people have not been treated fairly? And will he now look at working on a cross-party basis at finding an affordable... Yes. This... Yes. Yes. Let's sort this out on an affordable and sustainable basis. Will he do that? Of course, I'm, I'm very uh, happy to, uh, to work on it on any basis with other parties in order to try and provide for, for pensioners. Indeed, over um, the past few years, of course, for the very first time, we now have a compensation program in place yeah, yeah, worth hundreds yeah, yeah, yeah. of millions of pounds for those that have lost their pensions in addition to the considerable extra support given to pensioners. I mean, of course, we're still studying the exact terms of this judgment, as I understand it. Uh, Lowit found problems with um, some of the leaflets issued both by the previous government and this government. Uh, nonetheless, it did not actually find there was a causal link between that and the losses that were suffered. But I entirely agree with him. Of course, it's a terrible situation for those people that have lost their pensions. But we must make sure that any package we put forward is affordable. 
Callan. The Prime Minister talked specifically about the financial assistance scheme, but isn't it becoming increasingly clear that it simply isn't working properly? Of the 125,000 people who've been left with little or nothing, a year after the Ombudsman reported, only 900 have received any money. Doesn't the Prime Minister agree that is completely inadequate? And will he confirm those figures for us? Um, first of all, uh, let me say that I think the, the overall amount of money that will be in the scheme is somewhere in the region of £1.8 billion over the years to come. That is a huge commitment on the part of the government. And I would just point out to them that absolutely nothing was in place before we, we, we did this. However, I agree we have to see uh, how we help people in this situation. But I assume he is not saying we can give a guarantee that the government can stand behind the collapse of any pension scheme. That would be a huge commitment, billions and billions of pounds over the years. So there is inevitably going to be a situation where the commitment that we give to, to people who lose their pensions is going to be limited. But I would point out £1.8 billion is quite a generous commitment. Yes, but the point is the money is not getting through to the people who need it. So given that the financial assistance scheme isn't working and given that an increasing number of pension experts recognise this, will he at least look at ideas that wouldn't cost the taxpayers money, such as pooling the scheme funds, such as rolling the administration of the financial assistance scheme that isn't working properly into the pension protection fund? Will he also look at unclaimed pension assets? The fact is these pensioners have lost their money under his watch and he's got time now to do something about it. Yes. So will he agree? He shakes his head, but these people lost their pensions, partly because of the £5 billion pension raid that the Chancellor's carried out every year. Now look, he can use his last few months in office to grandstand, or he can do something for these people. So will, will he meet with the pensioners and with their representatives, and on a cross-party basis, sort this out? I think, uh, I think we just had a pretty good example of grandstanding, if I may say so. Um, let me just point out to him. I mean, although I, I, I thought he'd begun this question not, not, not simply to make a, a political point of it, but the fact of the matter is the pension was selling under the previous government was absolutely legendary. And the fact is the only compensation is the compensation that we've actually given. It is also not true to say that the assistance scheme is not working. It is, of course, for people who are going to become pensioners in the future. Now, we are perfectly prepared to sit down and look at what more we can do, but in the end, it will come down to money. And if I may just say that the other day, his shadow chancellor was actually asked in specific terms whether he'd commit more money to pensions and said there are people in the Conservative Party who are asking us to put more money into pensions. We have got to resist these demands. I'm, a, I'm afraid, Mr. Speaker, the House will have to settle for me. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, in, in 2003, the Samjota or Friendship Express began to run again between Delhi and Lahore. On Sunday night, that train, symbolically painted in Hindu saffron and Muslim green, was passing Dawana, 50 miles north of Delhi, when crude kerosene-based bombs exploded and made a furnace of two carriages. Will the Prime Minister, on behalf, I hope, of the entire House, express his deep sympathy to the friends and family of the 68 people whose charred bodies now lie in a mortuary 
and to the injured, and will he associate himself with a calm and dignified response of Prime Minister Sri Manmohan Singh and Pre President General Pervez Musharraf and agree with them that peace will prevail and the ungodly ambitions of nihilist terrorism in all its forms yeah. will never, yeah. ever triumph. Yeah. Well, I agree entirely, obviously, with my honourable friend. I'm sure the whole House does. And um, we expressed at the time our deep sympathy to uh, those and who had lost their lives and, and their families. And what is particularly interesting, as my honourable friend um, shows, is that this was actually a symbol of Hindus and Muslims working together. So it was a, a, a wicked act in itself, but it, it took on a, a particular proportion of tragedy and evil um, by the nature of the act and what it was directed towards. And it shows, I'm afraid, that this um, type, as he rightly said, of nihilistic terrorism uh, is with us the world over. Um, and the only response is to stand up to it and defeat it. Sir Mingus Campbell, I join the Prime Minister in his expressions of sympathy and condolence. Can the Prime Minister confirm that the number of families on waiting lists for social housing has risen from 1 million in 1997 to 1.6 million today? Well, I can't confirm those precise figures, but I do uh, say to him that uh, the actual investment in social housing has been vast over the past few years, and as a result of that, that has allowed us to refurbish much of um, the council housing, and also in particular to provide better housing for pensioners and for families on lower incomes. So I don't know the precise figures on the waiting list, but I can tell them there's been a huge investment in social housing. So may I understand that the reality for many of these families is to live in appalling temporary accommodation with their children. When can they have the decent housing to which they're entitled? Over the next few years, as well as the um, £2 billion, I think, that has been put into social housing over the past few years, over the next few years we're um, going to increase that still further. There will be hundreds of millions of pounds spent on social housing. But it's also necessary, I have to say, to build more homes, build more homes both for private ownership and for social housing. And those proposals, um, both to increase the stock of housing and for social housing, will be published shortly. Dr. Ashok Kumar. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Is my right honourable friend aware of a local campaign in Middlesbrough calling for a ban on the sale of bladed weapons? This campaign is organised by Mothers Against Knives, who has the support of 5,000 people, including the Mayor of Middlesbrough, Ray Mallon, and the former leader of the Conservative Party, the right honourable member for Folkestone and Hyde. So will my right honourable friend Given that there is so much support, will he use his good office and try to ensure that we ban the sale of bladed weapons? Well, first of all, uh, let me pay tribute to the work that uh, the Middlesbrough Mothers Against Knives um, do, and I think they are part of what is uh, an interesting phenomenon around the country, which are, are, are local communities and families getting together to try and do what they can in their local communities. The Violent Crime Reduction Act of last year, of course, also um, raises the... Uh, the age at which an, a knife can be brought, and it also makes sure that we take tougher action against those who are using bladed weapons. Uh, the use of knife amnesties as well has played a part in this, but I entirely agree with what my honourable friend says, and we keep very closely under review both the legislation in respect of this and the measures taken at the local level. Come on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In recent weeks, in recent weeks members of his Cabinet have called for curbs on city bonuses, a bigger role for trade unions, and the abolition of some union ballots. Does the Prime Minister agree with any of these policies? I think it's all part of a very interesting debate that no doubt will, uh, 
we no doubt will continue over the, the months to come. But actually, I think the most important thing for us as a government and as a political party is to keep up with the strongest economy, uh, the massive reduction in waiting lists, the improvement in school results and the falling crime. Because I think those things are, in the end, the things that will attract the country to vote for us at a fourth election. But so why does he think that all the people who want to be Deputy Prime Minister have to trash his record and lurch to the left? <laughs> no, I don't, since... Um, no, I don't, as a matter of fact. And, uh, well... I'd just like to draw attention... Since, uh, since we're discussing what members of our party say again about their leaders. Let me quote to him from last week, from the Right Honourable Gentleman, the member for Gainsborough. This is the year that Conservative spokesmen have adopted Nye Bevan as a role model and praised left-wing Polytoimi's view of society, snubbed the CBI and pleaded for understanding from marauding hoodies. Now, I think when he can't even make up his mind whether his role model is Polytoimi or Margaret Thatcher, he shouldn't be lecturing me, he should take some lessons himself. The Prime Minister quotes a backbencher. Let me quote someone in his own cabinet who I, who I suspect he might agree with. His Environment Secretary says in six months' time, people will be saying, wouldn't it be great to have that Blair back because we can't stand Gordon Brown? <laughs> Does the Prime Minister think that that was an accurate forecast or a bad career move, or maybe a bit of both? Well, I think what was also said was that we all remember... We all remember, as, as an example of change, that it was this party that introduced Bank of England independence, opposed by him. It was this party that introduced the minimum wage, opposed by him. It was this party that introduced record investment in schools and hospitals, opposed by him. So it's not this side of the House that's had to change its mind, it's him. Uh, my, my friend is a a great champion of the private sector and wants to give it a much bigger role in the NHS in Lancashire and Cumbria with the South African company Netcare carrying out work in six specialties including gynaecology, urology, orthopaedics, rheumatology, ear, nose and throat and general surgery. Will he explain to me and my constituents why the contract is to be regarded as commercially confidential? How can that possibly be justified? And if it's secret, how will we know that we are not being ripped off? The, the contracts that are entered to, into by the National Health Service with a range of different private contractors are commercially con confidential. But the reason why it's been introduced, why we've got the independent sector working alongside the National Health Service, is that it's actually for many of the things that he's listing, cutting waiting times, improving the quality of care, and giving us the possibility of creating a National Health Service that's fit for the early 21st century. And the reason why, in the past few months, for the first time, We've managed, for example, to get in and out patient waiting times, average waiting times, down to a few weeks. Is precisely the combination of investment and reform that is creating the National Health Service we want to see. So I suggest my honourable friend supports it. John Randall. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Nearly eight years after the intervention by NATO in Kosovo, Promise to be aware there are still several hundreds of thousands of people still frightened to return to their homes. Does he consider 
that that situation is acceptable in a modern Europe, and would you not agree with me, until those people have the confidence to return to their homes, we cannot consider that intervention to be a success? I certainly agree with him on the first part of his question, that it's important that those that are still in fear of returning to their homes are able to do so. Uh, Where I'm afraid I would disagree with him profoundly is any notion that the intervention in Kosovo was anything other than successful. As a result of what has happened in Kosovo, and of course we've still got to uh, sort out the the ongoing constitutional status of Kosovo, but as a result of that intervention, the whole of the Balkans is a changed region. Uh, We have uh, proper democratic elections in Serbia. We have Croatia uh, now as a candidate to become a member of the European Union. And for the first time in around about 100 years, the prospect of peace in the Balkans with of course, um, if he doesn't mind me, his party doesn't mind me saying so, the prospect of future European Union membership as a tremendous bonus for them as they make progress. So I have to say to him, I totally agree, there are still many things to be done in Kosovo and elsewhere in the Balkans, but I would have to say that I believe our intervention in Kosovo was necessary and right and has given the Balkans the prospect of a decent future. In the light of the recent firearm murders in the capital, Would the Prime Minister join with me condemning this evil and congratulate the Mayor of London for placing more police on the street? Will he also also ensure that the Government re-examines the very real and entrenched poverty in London to ensure we remain tough on the causes of crime as well as on crime itself? First of all, um, I absolutely agree with my Honourable Friend that it's... um, a tribute uh, both to the mayor, indeed, I think, to uh, the government as well for the extra numbers of, of um, police and community support officers uh, patrolling the streets and also for the, for the very significant falls in crime that there have been recently in London, despite, obviously, the terrible events recently. And she's completely right as well in saying we've got to carry on reducing poverty in the country, but there are some two and a half million fewer people in relative poverty than there were some years back. And the inner city regeneration programs in her communities and elsewhere are playing a real part in doing that. So we have to continue with this and then we have to take the specific measures necessary within these specific criminal cultures to deal with those who, as we've seen recently, so also tragically, are engaged in gun violence. Tim Boswell. Speaker, the Prime Minister's recent decision to accede to the Council of Europe Convention on Trafficking will be widely welcomed. Is he not, however, aware that this additional signature will mean that there are 20 such Council of Europe Conventions to which the United Kingdom has attached its signature without actually having got round to ratifying them? Would he undertake uh, to look into this situation and report back to the House? I'm very happy uh, to uh, look into it and and report back. And, of course, there is always a difference between the signature and ratification. And I think, actually, I think I'm right in saying this particular convention has probably not been ratified by a majority of European countries. However, it is extremely important um, that we make sure that we abide by its its provisions and that we we implement them here. Because this, uh, as as I think we we were saying when we we were commemorating the the abolition of the slave trade, there is a new form of slave trade in our world today, and and that is people trafficking. It's often linked uh, to the most appalling forms of prostitution, and he's absolutely right in saying we should deal with it. Sally Keeble. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Would my right honourable friend join me in congratulating everyone at the Cameron Short Start Centre in my constituency for its outstanding Ofsted report 
which found children from a multiracial, disadvantaged estate show outstanding academic achievement and outstanding spiritual, moral, social and cultural development. And does he agree this show, investment by this Labour government, is improving the lives of children in disadvantaged areas? Well, I would send my uh, congratulations to the Camrose uh, Children's Centre in, in my Honourable Friend's constituency. Um, the number of those centres will be roughly nationwide, I think, 2,500 um, in, in two, the year 2008. It is actually a, new, a whole new frontier of the welfare state that's being developed. Um, they, they do a fantastic uh, amount of work, not just incidentally for the children, but often for the parents of those children who for the first time get access to advice about skills and jobs, and it's a very, very worthwhile addition to the provision that government makes for people in this country. John Minister, explain why after increased investment in the NHS, my own local NHS trust is having to slash £24 million from its budget in the next 18 months and has resorted to removing one out of three light bulbs in St. Helier Hospital to cut costs. <laughs> Whatever the level of investment, each trust, and this is the whole point about making sure we have proper financial transparency in the health service, has got to live within its means. And therefore, despite the fact that there has been a massive increase in investment, and of course as a result of that, waiting lists have fallen dramatically in his area as in others, uh, cancer treatment has improved, cardiac treatment has improved, accident and emergency treatment has improved. Despite all of this, it is correct that trusts will have to live within their financial means. But I'm afraid that is the case no matter what amount of money goes in. And that, I'm afraid, is a lesson the Liberal Democrats are going to have to learn. Michael Connerty. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Will the Prime Minister give an ongoing commitment to the use of the Barnett formula, which has delivered substantial investment in public services in Scotland, and assure the people of Scotland that a Labour government will not be tempted into creating a massive financial deficit by following the proposals for a tax autonomy proposed by the London-based leader of the Scottish Nationalist Movement? Well, I can certainly assure him that uh, we have no proposals at all to change the Barnett formula. As he rightly says, this has, this has uh, delivered substantial investment for Scotland. But, of course, the other reason why the investment is going into Scotland is the strength of the economy. And that is what allows, whatever the formula, the additional amount of money to go into health services and education services and providing help for people in Scotland, not least pensioners. And I can assure him both the Barnett formula and that strong economy will continue under a Labour government and a Labour executive. Sir Patrick Cornmike. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker, I wonder if uh, one who has uh, been put, uh, I hope, temporarily and certainly unwillingly into the departure lounge uh, can ask somebody who already has his boarding ticket. <laughs> What uh, he expects and hopes to be remembered by before he goes off on the lecture circuit. <laughs> Whatever circuit, I look forward to seeing him on it. Um, but I hope that, that, that he recognises that one thing that has changed since there's been a great deal of debate um, in this country about uh, division and poverty and inequality over the past um, few years, but I think and hope the one thing that he recognises is that this country, as a result of the assistance given to families through the tax credit system, through the minimum wage, through the investment in child benefit, through the inner city regeneration, this country actually is a fairer and stronger country than it was ten years ago. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
Bristol has the second highest number of drug addicts in, in treatment in the country, but last year was only given £639 per addict in treatment compared to cities like Birmingham, which got nearly three times as much. Can the Prime Minister assure me that the very welcome recent 40% increase in funding for next year will not just be a one-off, but we can look forward to future increases so that Bristol gets the fair funding it deserves so it can treat what is a very serious drug problem in the city? Well, I, I think I, I can uh, say to my honourable friend that I think over the next couple of years there's something like a 70% increase in, in, uh, in the budget in Bristol. And, of course, we are doubling the amount of assistance that's given for these drug treatment programmes. Um, the important thing is to make sure that those that have a drug problem, particularly if they're, they're um, connected with the criminal justice system, those that have a drug problem, get the treatment that they need. Because if we don't actually treat that drug abuse problem, uh, we aren't likely to reduce their propensity to re-offend once released. And I do pay tribute also to the work that I know is going on in, in Bristol amongst some of the drug action teams who are doing a superb work, and I hope that the additional funding will help them do even better. Peter Bourne. Mr. Speaker, last, last summer a new mini-hospital was completed to serve my constituents. There are no patient complaints, no delays, no operations cancelled. That's because the hospital has never opened. <laughs> the only activity, Mr. Speaker, is the administration department paying bills to keep an empty hospital maintained. Is that not an episode straight out of Yes, Minister? <laughs> I, I, tell him, I tell him what is also going on in his uh, constituency. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. What is also going on is that whereas in 1997 over 30,000 people had to wait for six months, the figure today is 90, there is a new radiotherapy building at Northampton General Hospital, there is the new Oakley Vale Dental Practice, and there is a £10 million expansion project on its way in Northampton General Hospital. As a result of that, waiting lists are down, cancer care is improving, heart disease care is improving. All of that money was voted against by him and his colleagues. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister back the popular campaign to bring the Lindisfarne Gospels home to the North East? He may Amen. recall that last time they were there, hundreds of thousands of people queued round the block to see them. With his backing, perhaps then he and I could pop to see these cultural icons together when they are back in our region. Yeah. Well, as I'm sure my, my honourable friend is aware, uh, it's obviously a matter for the British Library Board to decide where the Gospels are located. Um, but I certainly share my honourable friend's desire to see them um, widely available in, in the North East. I know she has met uh, recently the Minister concerned in order to discuss it, and I'm perfectly happy to give her any support I can in making sure that as many people in the North East get, um, get access to what is obviously a huge cultural icon for people there. Edward Garvey. In, in direct response to me during the committee stage of the Identity Cards Bill, the Minister of State gave me an undertaking, and all of us in the committee, that the police would not be permitted to trawl through the National Identity Register. Yesterday, the Prime Minister ripped, that, ripped up that undertaking. Why? we have gone back on any of the undertakings that we've given. Uh, what is extremely important, however, is that we have such a register because it will help us not merely tackle crime and terrorism and illegal immigration, but it will also, through an identity card scheme, with the new technology available, and the vast bulk of the cost, of course, is going to be spent on passports anyway, it will allow us 
and allow consumers to access better private sector services as well. And I simply tell them that the Tory opposition to ID cards is completely regressive, old-fashioned and out of date. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will know that Hull has, has produced its share of great parliamentarians. Most notably, William Wilberforce. This year is the 200th anniversary of the abolition of the slave trade, which Wilberforce brought in. Will my right honourable friend find time to visit Hull to celebrate Wilberforce 2007? Well, as my uh, honourable friend will know, of course, that there, there are a number of events, including a, a national memorial service at Westminster Abbey in March of this year that will commemorate uh, the abolition of the slave trade. I think the most important things I was saying in response to a question earlier, however, is we recognise we still have challenges ahead of us. I mentioned one in respect of people trafficking. There is another, and that is in respect of education for all in Africa, where my right old friend, the Chancellor and the Development Secretary, have recently announced proposals that will allow us or give us the chance, if we're supported internationally, and I hope we will be at the G8 uh, this year, uh, to make sure that children in Africa get the possibility of primary education, all of them, when at the moment there are still tens of millions of them that are unable to do so. And I think that would be probably as much as any memorial service or any commemoration, that would be the most fitting way to mark what was a huge and, and wonderful parliamentary campaign 200 years ago. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, may I ask uh, if the Prime Minister would agree with me that the fact that there are no antenatal classes now for new mums, the fact that there is a £2.50 saving not using dressings and offering blood tests, the fact that the GPs and decorum have sent emails saying they do not believe that the new proposals are fit for purpose, and one elderly person is now mounting a legal challenge to moving all services to Watford, does he agree with me then that the services in Hertfordshire Health Service are not fit for purpose? Yeah. Well, obviously, I don't know enough about the individual circumstances in a constituency, and I'm very happy to look into it and, and correspond with her about it. But I do have to say that the, the changes that have taken place in maternity services are, changing place, are taking place in order to provide a better service for people, where you specialise particularly the most difficult cases on one side. And I may say that the money that we're putting into maternity services, including antenatal services, is increasing, not diminishing. In addition to that, we're also increasing the numbers of midwives in training. So I don't agree with her that change is necessarily a bad thing. I think it's a good thing, but I'm happy to look into the specific matters she raises. What is, uh, what, what is my right of... What is my right honourable friend's response to Mohammed al-Baraide of the IAEA who said recently that Britain cannot modernise its Trident missile system and then credibly tell countries like Iran that they don't need nuclear weapons? Well, I think I would uh, remind him of the, uh, national, uh, of the non-proliferation treaty, which makes it absolutely clear that Britain has the right to, to have nuclear weapons. And since he is the custodian of implementing that treaty, I, I think it's a good idea if he does so. Yeah. Order. Guardian Unlimited.